So we've been studying through the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark, again, has been a, a time where we've been able to dig into the Scriptures and allow God to minister to us. It's been a great time, and now we're, we're getting to the last few chapters of the Gospel of Mark. So now in the Gospel of Mark, this, this chapter that we're entering is known as the Passion Week, the, the week of Jesus' sufferings. And so uh, we're going to be touching up on different points leading up to that time. But as we enter in this part of the Gospel of Mark chapter 14, uh, before I start, I want to give attention to this. Um, you know, I, I recall the time when the Lord Jesus first has saved me. Uh, when, when He pulled me out of the, the darkness that I was in, where He brought me from darkness to light, from being a slave to sin to freedom in Christ. And I remember there was this radical devotion that just arose in my heart. Like I didn't care what people had to say. I was going to be at church. I was going to be with the people of God. Like I couldn't get enough of Jesus. I was always praying and I was always praising the Lord. We were just talking about the other day, pulling up to this like a stoplight and you're just praising God and people looking at you like, man, I wonder what's wrong with them. And Man, you just didn't care because you were so excited about the Lord, always wanting to be around, uh, uh, you know, the people of God. And there was just these holy affections always rising up for God. And, and I remember we started evangelizing, going out to the streets, preaching the gospel, going into different parts of Houston, just making much of Jesus. Then the time came where finally... My wife and I were, were feeling the weight of, of starting the, the church plan. God burdened our heart. And, and I remember being at the church where we were at. We were sharing with them, like, man, I, I really believe that God is calling us to, to uh, you know, to, to plant the church. And, and so they had already confirmed God's calling in my life, you know, to the pastoral ministry. And so for months I was wrestling with what God had called me to do. Then the time came when my wife and I said, all right, let's, let's go ahead and submit to what God's calling us to do. And, and uh, we talked to our leadership, and, <clears throat> and there were some conversations that we had that kind of troubled my heart. One of them was, you know, Sergio, do you know what part of town you're trying to move to? Do you really want to take your kids and move? To the inner city of Houston? Do you know that that part is pretty dark? And I'm like, like really? They need Jesus just as much as we do here. So God is calling me to that part of town. And yeah, it might sound crazy, but oh, we're crazy for the Lord, right? And so me and my family, we moved out in this area, and people thought we were crazy. Like, you're going to start a church in the hood? Yeah. Why not? I remember a friend telling me that, you know, in, it's in these parts of town, there, there's a theological famine. There's not enough preaching of Christ, a gospel-centered church in this area. So I said, well, we're going to go in there. Our actions look crazy to people. 
They're like, why would you do that? Why would you take your family there? And I'm like, why not? And so we get to a part of the text where there is a woman that her actions looked so radical, so crazy, that even the disciples were tripping out on her. Like, this woman did something. Her actions of love were so explosive. When you think about an explosive, it doesn't care who's in the way, right? It just explodes and it impacts everyone around it. Where her actions of love were explosive. That the people around her were being impacted by it. Some didn't agree with it. Oh, but Jesus was delightful in it. And this is what we see as we get to this part of the text. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. So read with me. And this is what the word of the Lord says. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. Verse 3. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. And Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could, and she has anointed my body beforehand before the for the burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, when the chief priests in order uh, to betray him uh, to them, said this. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And, and he sought an opportunity to betray Jesus. There's a contrast taking place here. You have this woman that is not named by Mark, but then you have one of the disciples that is named Judas. You see the motives behind Judas, and you see the motives behind this woman that is not named. Very crucial was taking place here. But what I want us to draw our attention to is 
the background of all of this that's leading to this point. Because this is taking place around the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This is two days before the Passover. The Passover was a time of thanksgiving for God's miraculous deliverance of the Hebrew people from Egyptian bondage, where they would sacrifice the Passover lamb and the blood of the lamb they would put on the doorpost. And when the angel of death would visit that home, if he saw the blood there, he would pass over and the firstborn would be spared. So this was celebrated every year. But this was pointing to Jesus being the true Passover lamb, the lamb of God, who would be crucified on the cross of Calvary. And it is his blood over us. And when the angel of death passes through, although we die, we shall live with Christ, right? He is the resurrection. And so this is what we're looking at, what's taking place here. This is what's being opened. This is the curtain that's being opened. And we are beholding what Jesus is doing. So before Jesus enters this time of betrayal and being persecuted, this time of anguish, we see this beautiful picture of this woman approaching Jesus. Now, what we find here is that the religious folk, oh, they didn't like Jesus. They didn't like Jesus. This religious elite, it says that they were trying to find him by stealth, in secrecy. They were doing things in the dark to trap Jesus. But their motives of trapping Jesus was to kill him. Man, can you imagine that? The kind of hatred that was rising up inside of them towards Jesus. They wanted to stop him. They were plotting to kill the Son of God. Man. But Jesus continued to go. And what we find here in verse 3, oh, this is the gospel being laid before us. It says, and while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, he was reclining at the table. Just that in itself is a powerful picture of the gospel. Jewish culture was that if you sat at the table... That was symbolic of you accepting the person you were eating with. You see, you just didn't eat with anyone. When you sat down and you ate, this was a time of not only you sharing a meal, but you sharing your life with the people around you. That time was a time of honoring the moment. Like, I know we live in a time and age where, man, it seems like people run through the table and there's not even time to be at the table. I remember growing up, like, my dad would say, no, we're sitting down at the table. You know, we're eating some pork chops and some eggs. We're all sitting down at the table. Sure, Dad. Generally, some pork chops, right? But it was family time. It was a time that was honored. Not today, like, stuff that ain't appreciated, right? And what we see here is something taking place with Jesus. He's sitting down at the table. He's reclining at the table. But he's eating 
with Simon the leper. So leprosy is a skin disease. And to the religious elite, a man with leprosy was considered unclean. You had nothing to do with that individual. Don't even allow him to sit down with you. Man. Aren't we guilty of that, right? We pick and choose who we allow at the table. Lord, forgive us. Because Jesus wasn't concerned with this leprosy that he had. What he laid before him was a table of acceptance. I had a brother Howard say, like, the king opening up the table, right? People are just being allowed to come at the table. It was a symbol of acceptance. It is the gospel of grace being displayed through the actions of Jesus. Although the religious elite, they would have nothing to do with Simon the leper. But Jesus was opening up the table. It is symbolic because the gospel of grace is open to whom the world considers rejects, to whom the world considers the outcasts. But Jesus said, no, I want him in my family. He opens up the table. And so we're seeing this taking place that the king himself is opening up the table and he is eating with Simon the leper. He's reclining at the table. Then we get to the point where it says that a woman came with an alabaster flask. And what blew my mind about her is that what she did was so controversial, so countercultural. It was not the norm. But what we see that her heart was not governed by the opinion of people. Grace had liberated her. And so she approached Jesus. You see, there's three verbs that are taking place here that we see from from this lady that we can learn from her. The first one is came, the second one is broke, and and the third one is poured. She came to Jesus. She broke this alabaster flask, which was costly, and she poured it upon Jesus' head, it says. So let us look at what we see from the word came. This woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment. Now, Culturally, a woman could not approach a man. You couldn't unless that was your husband. You couldn't. So her approaching Jesus in public during a meal, it was only allowed if she was serving him food. But she wasn't doing that. What she was doing was approaching Jesus was something that was costly to her. You see, her actions were countercultural, but it was a demonstration of this explosive love. She didn't care who was around. Didn't matter. She wasn't allowing the opinion of people to hinder her from approaching Jesus. Because Jesus was her Lord and her master. She was so deeply moved by Jesus that it didn't matter who was around. Her heart must have experienced the depth of Christ's love for her. She had to. 
She was not ashamed of the gospel. She didn't allow with other people to hinder her. Her love for Jesus was unwavering. She didn't just so show Jesus, show love to Jesus when, when no one was around. She didn't allow other people to hinder her. She showed her loyalty to Christ. It is a deep conviction that she felt for Jesus. Can that be said of us today? Is this kind of conviction seen in our own walk with the Lord? Can people look at our life and see a radical devotion to Christ? Is there an unwavering love that we have for Jesus that no matter who is around, oh, we show in Jesus, we love him. Or is our love for Jesus conditional? It depends who's around. Maybe let me talk about God because I'm around people that, that go to church, right? But what about when you by yourself? Are you still praising Jesus? Are you still lifting up your hands to the Lord? You see, grace should liberate our hearts. Whether people are watching or not watching, hey, I'm still serving Jesus. There's something that's captivated your heart that is more important than the opinion of people. More important. And so what she did was countercultural. She was not allowing the opinion of others to govern her heart. Now we get to the next point. It says that she came with an alabaster flask of ointment, a pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask. She broke this flask. Now this jar contains something of great worth. This alabaster flask of ointment, it says, was very costly. Now, nard was a sweet-smelling perfume that came from a rare plant that was found only in India. So this perfume costed a lot. It said 300 denarii. This was equivalent to a year's wage. So imagine all the money you earned in a year. It was equivalent to that. Not in a day, in a year. I'm like, man, that's expensive. Forget Gucci and all that Louis Vuitton stuff, right? This was expensive. This was, this was all her earnings in this perfume. This was costly to her. This was something that was passed on from family to family and preserved and protected because it was of great value. So what we see here, it is that there is a true sacrifice that's taking place because it is costly to her. You see, we can never give too much to Jesus. Her generosity is seen by her giving her all to Jesus. This is explosive acts of love that costed her. What can we learn from this? What can we learn from her generosity? You see, her generosity goes beyond finances and money. It is a radical devotion to Christ that cost. 
Sometimes we talk about sacrifice. But it ain't really sacrifice if it doesn't cost you something. There's got to be a cost that takes place like, oh, Lord, like, man. Oh, now you could say it was a sacrifice. Well, I had to get up this morning and come to church. That, you know, that was a sacrifice. No, it's just the blankets were kind of heavy, right? That's not a sacrifice. You see, It cost her everything. And she didn't withhold it from Jesus. She didn't care who was around, and she didn't care how much it cost her. She wanted to demonstrate the depth of her love to Jesus. It doesn't matter who is around. You see, sometimes it's going to cost us popularity if we stand for Jesus. It may also cost us the respect of others when we speak truth or walk in integrity. It may cost us our job, but we have to stand for what is right. And this is what we see. It will cost us to forgive those who have offended you. It will cost you. It's not easy. It hurts. To create community with others that do not look like you is going to cost you your comfort. But it's going to cost you. To disciples others, it will cost you your time. To follow Jesus, it will cost you your personal desires and pleasures. They got to get put in the altar. Put the interests of others before your own is what scripture says. It will cost you. God saved us, and it cost him, it cost him his only begotten son to be slaughtered on the cross for us. Oh, it cost him for our salvation. You see, Jesus, he's not telling you to do something that he wasn't going to do himself. When he says, lay down your life, pick up the cross and follow me, to deny yourself. Oh, Jesus did that. Jesus did that. When he was on the cross hanging, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Oh, it cost. He doesn't ask us to do something that he hasn't done himself. Oh, so we follow in the footsteps of the master. And what we see, it will cost us. In other words, there's nothing Nothing in this world that should be of any comparable worth to Christ. Turn with me to Philippians. Paul captures this very beautifully. In Philippians chapter 3. When you're there, you can say amen, amen. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. When we talk about cost, when we talk about Because Jesus is worthy. Look at what we find in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. And this is what the word of the Lord says. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. 
For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having the righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Do you see this beautiful picture that Paul's saying? Paul was a scholar. This dude had plaques on his wall probably of all the things he's accomplished. But he said, all those things that I gained, they're nothing in comparison to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. My job, nothing in comparison to Jesus. My family, nothing in comparison to knowing Jesus. Ouch, right? But, but what Jesus' beauty and glory should captivate us And anything in comparison to Jesus is of lesser worth. Because it is Jesus who died for your sins. Not your brother, not your dad, not your mama. It was Jesus. And it was Jesus who rose again in victory. That is why the gospel is scandalous. It is scandalous because it says you couldn't save yourself. Someone had to come and rescue you. And that someone was Jesus Christ. So this woman's sacrifice, it was truly costly. But you begin to think like, really, what what fueled her actions like that? What, What moved her like that? What stirred her heart's affections to be willing to lay it all at the feet of Jesus? I think that Luke captures this for us in Luke chapter 7. And I'll read this to you. Uh, In Luke chapter 7, verse 47, or you can turn with me if you choose. But in Luke chapter 7, Jesus is there with uh, some Pharisees. At, their house, at the house of one of the Pharisees, but who is present there with Jesus is a woman. And this woman does something that is amazing. And this is what it says in verse 47. What's taking place here is that this woman was weeping. She was crying. She was wiping her tears on the feet of Jesus And the religious folk were like, what's wrong with her? Like, Jesus, do you know what kind of woman is touching you right now? And she said, man, your mind is in the wrong place. Let me tell you something about her. Verse 47. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. So what was taking place here was that she knew that her sins were great. But Jesus had forgiven her for that, so that moved her. There was something in connection to knowing how utterly sinful your sins were. And how powerful the grace of God was to forgive you. Oh, there is something that takes place. I I am telling you. When you know your guilt has been removed, 
when you know you're no longer in condemnation, when you know you're no longer a slave, but a child of God, there's something that happens. You can't just stay quiet. I'm telling you, family, we might get excited about Super Bowl, but forget that. There's more excitement that takes place when one sinner repents. Say, all heaven is praising, right? Shouldn't we be praising as well? It's what shouldn't be moving our hearts. But forgive us, Lord, because sometimes we belittle such wonderful work you do for us. We do. But this woman here, she was weeping at the feet of Jesus because she, she knew how great her sin was. But she had tasted the richness of God's grace. And this is what I believe created this explosion in this other woman that we're talking about in the Gospel of Mark. That she was willing to address Jesus here, countercultural. Didn't matter who was around. And laying it all at the foot of the cross, right? Like, like laying it all down. The Bible says that it's the love of Christ that controls us. And this is what we're seeing here. Seeing is the love of Jesus moving in her. But look at what it leads her to. As she broke this flask, she poured it over his head. This is a whole hearted act of love. This explosive love was rooted in the grace of God. Her act of anointing Jesus over the head was an intimate one. It was a personal one. There was a deep emotion expressing itself. You see, this brokenness was leading to praise. Follow with me. Because I'm telling you, when you realize that, oh, Jesus, you've forgiven me. Oh, it leads you to praise, right? You don't stay quiet. You're like, alabare, 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 right? Or praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus paid it all, right? Man, you're just worshiping and praising. So if there's a, so if there's a, 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 a part where like, man, I haven't been praising the Lord. Because you probably forgot just how sinful you were. And how far Jesus went to get you. Be reminded of that. Don't become like the Pharisees think like, oh, me, oh, my, there ain't nothing wrong with me. Oh, no, your, your sin cost. It cost. Someone had to die, and that was Jesus. That should stir the affections of your heart. Oh, I'm not obeying that much? Well, be reminded what Jesus saved you from. I don't feel like it. Be reminded what Jesus saved you from. When we think about wholehearted devotion, imagine if Jesus, when he hung on the cross, he gave part of himself for you. But no, when Jesus hung on the cross, he gave all of himself for all of you. Not part of you, but all of you. So when he says he is Lord of your life, he's Lord of all of your life. Not compartments, not Jesus, I'll let you in here, but not in this part. No, he wants everything. He deserves everything. He is worthy. 
He is worthy. But Lord, it's because, man, I'm struggling in this area. Give your struggles to him. I'm doubting in this area. Give your doubts to him. I am telling you, the closer you draw to the Savior, oh, it begins to set your heart on fire. It does. And all of a sudden, there's nothing no one can tell you because now you're praising the Lord. You're praying. You're getting on your knees. There's this excitement for God. You want to tell others about Jesus. You might not know all the theological answers, but you know that Jesus saved you. That's all you got to tell them. Let me tell you about my Savior. Let me tell you about my Jesus. And you share the good news of the gospel. But so we see this woman's boldness in approaching Jesus. We see her generosity in lavishing Jesus with this perfume. And we see her pouring out this ointment, pouring it all out before the Lord Jesus. This is a beautiful, passionate love that she has for Jesus. So this pouring out is a glorious picture here because she's, she is before the King of kings and Lord of lords. She didn't know that Jesus was fixing to be betrayed and hung on the cross, but what she was doing meant something. Jesus said that what she was doing, she said, what she has done is a beautiful thing to me. A beautiful thing to me. Now, follow with me because what normally happens when you're living radically for Jesus, when you're doing radical things for the Lord, oh, people are going to criticize. Look at what happens here. Verse 4. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, they said to themselves, they were like, oh, what is she doing? Look. Why was the ointment wasted like that? Why was it wasted like that? Man, what, what are you trying to say? What are you trying to say? You see, her explosive acts of love, you know, it, it kind of rubbed people the wrong way. And what I want you to notice is that her critics were not the religious folk. There were the disciples that were with Jesus. Well, like, what? Bro, if anything, you should be giving her dabs, right? Like, she should be praising, hey, let me follow behind you. But no, they were criticizing her. And this is what blows my mind. Because when the criticism comes from those who are in the church, it hurts. Oh, it hurts. Instead of them encouraging you in what God is doing in your life, they're trying to criticize you. Because they're going to criticize something they don't understand. Oh, and I'm telling you right here. It hurts. I'm telling you, I remember. Like, why are you going to go to that neighborhood and, and start a church there and take your family? Do you know how dangerous it is? I'm, I'm like, is this what you tell missionaries when you send them out? I hope not because you're going to discourage them. No, you go and you preach the gospel and then you die for Jesus. Glory be to God. Because now you're shedding blood for Jesus. You don't go tell them, well, I, I don't know. Like, 
No, you know what? We're going to equip you, we're going to train you, and we're going to send you off. You see, Jesus didn't gather the 12 and build a big church right there, right? Like, oh, here is, I'm going to build. No, 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 no. He brought them in and he sent them out. That's what we need to be doing. Training up disciples and sending them out. And so what we see here is that this woman was looked as she did something wrong. In, other, in another gospel of John, it says of the same story that it was Judas who began to complain. There was a self-righteous heart that she, he had, and he was questioning her motives. But he was bringing along other people with him. Because in this text, it says that there was other people there doing that. So she, she worshipped the king, but her expressions of worshipping the king were frustrating people around her. And they were saying, why would you waste your ointment like that? So what do, you think they were, what do you think they were communicating when they were telling her that? Look. People can be kind of harsh. They, they can criticize. And it do hurt. And in here it says, look, they said, why? Why was this ointment wasted like that? So you mean to tell me that her honoring Jesus was a waste of time? That her pouring out this perfume was a waste of time? So what are you telling me about the person that's receiving this ointment? That he's not worthy? Is there a moderate devotion that you're having? Are you adjusting how much you're giving to Jesus? When it begins to cost you something, do you pull back? Is this what you're telling me? You see, her act of love was not a waste of time. Her praising Jesus in this manner was not a waste of time or a waste of perfume. Because Jesus was of greater worth than this perfume. But what we see with the disciples is that, hey, look, they were devoted to Jesus. They were walking with him. They were serving with him. But when it was fixing to cost them something, all of a sudden they would yield a little bit. They would drive a little slower, like, I don't know. And I want you to follow with me because when God calls us to do something that it will cost us, we normally begin to put up excuses. What? Don't know if I should do that. And God has been burdening your heart. I don't know if I should reach out to them. And God has been burdening your heart. I don't know if I should move in that area because it is kind of dark there. But God has been burdening your heart. You see, when it costs me my comfort, I don't know about that. You see, comfort is a huge idol here in the Western world. Oh, man, is it? Do we worship it a lot, right? Like, you know, we got comfortable seats because we used to have them little orange ones and stuff, and they were kind of uncomfortable, right? We, we want something nicer. Ain't nothing wrong with that. But when you allow those things to begin to determine your choices, there's something wrong now. 
When you allow the criticism of others, there's something wrong. When you allow then your own comfort to, to dictate what you're going to do, there's something wrong with that. And what we see here, people might not understand why you do what you do, but it's not up to them. It's between you and God. What is God calling you to do today? What is it going to cost you? Is it going to cost you your popularity? Is it going to cost you relationships? What will it cost you? Is God calling you to sacrifice something that you like? But, but it's because you don't understand. No, God understands. We might not, but God understands. And her manner of worship, it was being, man, I'm telling you, these disciples were looking down on that. But I love what Jesus do. Because after they, they criticized her and then they were scolding her, I mean, they were getting on to her, una regañada, right? Like we say, they were getting on to her. But look at the beautiful shepherd's touch here. Jesus says, leave her alone. Leave her alone. Oh, the protective nature of our shepherd. God knows. He knows. You don't have to worry about justifying yourself. There's one that's doing it for you. You don't have to give a 10-point excuse of why you're doing what you're doing. Jesus is doing it for you. You are in obedience to the Lord, walking in disobedience, and Jesus says, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. Now, this is... Uh, you know, when I was looking at the, com- the contrast that was taking place here, because of Judas, what did he say of Judas? It was better if you were never born. Man, that, you could see that, what, what, look, his actions were speaking louder than his words. And Jesus said, it was better if you weren't even born. But of her that people were criticizing, he said, what she has done is a beautiful thing. I tell you that today, whatever God is compelling your heart to do, if he's calling you to give it all to him, to sacrifice it to Jesus, it is precious. To others around you, they might not understand, but it's not up to them. It's between you and the Lord and what you're doing to him. It is precious. I'm reminded of, uh, there's a, a couple that got married not too long ago. And they're like, you know, we want to get married here. We're like, really? Really? I'm like, wow, praise the Lord. And I was so moved by the reason why they wanted to get married here. It, it, it touched my heart. Because they knew they could easily have gone out in the suburbs to one of the churches out there. But said, no, we want to expose our family to the hood, to the work of grace that's being done here in the hood. Like, we want them to see when they come around here, like, whoa, this is where they come into church too? Like, whoa, yeah. But the gospel's faithfully being proclaimed. People are awakened by the Holy Spirit. They are recognizing their sin. They are turning to Jesus Christ. The work of grace is evident among God's people here. And yes, we're in the hood. And I was so moved by that. But it's a reminder. 
they, the family probably didn't understand, like, um, why would you go there? Why not? Why not? And so what we see that people won't understand sometimes, but you be obedient to the Lord. And he tells them, for you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good to them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand before the burial. And this is very important piece. Because now was being connected that her actions were in connection to that Jesus was going to die. And we know what that means. If it wasn't because of the shedding blood of Jesus Christ, there would be no forgiveness of sins. So what she was doing was anointing the king that was going to be slaughtered at the cross of Calvary. This was symbolic. He is the anointed one of God, the Messiah, Jesus, the son of God. And so what she was doing had powerful symbolism here. Like, and Jesus knew that. She did it, but Jesus knew that. So he wasn't going to stop her. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed, or keruso, right, to be heralded, to be proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. The beautiful story is in connection. Because this, we should model what she did. And what we find that towards the end of Jesus' life, you know who are the more braver people? Serving Jesus were the women. The men ran like cowards. The disciples did that. But here goes the women standing up for Jesus. I'm like, wow, Lord, you see that today. People say, why aren't there more men in the church? They're afraid. They're afraid. But imagine if more men stood for Jesus Christ, there would be a transformation in the culture. The fatherlessness that we see today, if more men stood as fathers, as parents, the change that would take place. This is why it's so important that when we see the scriptures, we allow God to minister to us. Men of God, we've been called to take a stand. Let us not wait for our spouses to drag us in. We need to take a stand for Jesus. And this was a beautiful reminder to us, like, women of God, praise the Lord for y'all. Praise the Lord for y'all. For the mamas that pray for the kids, interceding for them, praise the Lord for y'all, right? And so now what we see in verse 10 is it says, Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priest in order to betray Jesus. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And they sought an opportunity to betray him. A contrast here. The woman that has no name, her devotion to Jesus. Judas, who was hanging out with the the rest of the disciples, on the outside looked like a Christian. On the outside, well, he going to church. On the outside, well, he's walking with Jesus, but he never truly had this relationship with Jesus. 
And look at what we're seeing here, that his actions spoke louder than his words. He went to go betray Jesus. So we see two different kind of devotions, one devoted to money and one devoted to Jesus. One who was stingier with what he had and one who said, I don't care. I give it all to you, Lord. So today, where do we find ourselves at today? What is God calling us to do? A wholehearted devotion to him. This explosive love that it is gonna, is gonna be contagious to the people around you. They're gonna wanna know what is it about you. But there's gonna be some things that you gotta sacrifice. It's gonna cost you. Maybe you might lose some friendships. You probably didn't need them. Maybe people are gonna criticize you at work. But you never know when they're going through a season of hardship, they're gonna come to you. You never know. But what is God calling you to do today? We know it's Super Bowl Sunday. We know that, oh, we're going to go, you know, have a little cookout and everything. But let not the distractions of the world hinder you from giving it your all to Jesus. Is he worthy today to you? Is he? And allow the answer to that fuel your heart. Either you're going to fully give yourself to Jesus or you're not. Don't give part of yourself to him. Give everything to him. And you will see what he will do in your life. You will see how your story will be spoken of to others. I had the privilege to be with a Family, this over the week, uh, they lost their father. And just to hear the legacy that he left behind moved my heart. More than 30 years ago, someone went, uh, a pastor went to Magnolia, the hood Magnolia, not, not out in the suburbs, the hood Magnolia, where he, he used to live with his family. They went and preached the gospel to him. He come from a family that, you know, they were in the cantinas. Y'all know what the cantinas are? And that was the life that they lived. Jesus saved him through his salvation. His sister came to know the Lord. His wife came to know the Lord. Other family members came to know the Lord. And then his children came to know the Lord. And all of a sudden, these blessings are just being poured on from generation to generation. And when you stand there and you see that, you see the faithfulness of God. And I'm telling you, this is real family. God will rock your world and he will not leave you the same. Either you're going to stand for Christ or you're going to be dragged into the world. Give everything to God. Give everything to him. And you will see how you will not be the same. Let us bow our heads. Father God. Oh God, we thank you. We praise you. Because you have been so good to us. Lord, your word says that even when we are unfaithful, you remain faithful. For you cannot deny yourself. God, I pray today, Lord, 
for the people that are here today, Father God, who do not know you yet, who are still carrying the weight of sin, the guilt of sin. Lord, I pray as you've been tugging in their hearts today that they would surrender all and give it to you. That the only thing that separates them from you is faith. So I pray, Lord, that today is the day of salvation. Move in their hearts, Lord, that they would give it all to you. It might cost them relationships. It might cost them popularity. But nothing of that is in comparison to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. So I invite you today, if you have not trusted in Jesus, turn to him today. But maybe you're here today and you, you've been walking with the Lord, but you have not fully given your all to Jesus. You've been afraid of, of allowing him in all areas of your life. And you know that he's calling you. You feel him tugging at your heart. I, I plead with you, surrender it all to Jesus. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He will not abandon you. But he has given you his all when he hung on that cross for you. And so I pray, Lord Jesus, move in the hearts of the people today. That they will surrender it all to you. Cry out to Jesus. At this time... We make the invitation for communion. But before communion, if you know that God was wrestling with your heart, if you knew, if you know deep inside that like God is calling me to surrender, I need to get right with God. Wherever you're at in your seat or you can come to the front for prayer, there's going to be brothers and uh, sisters that will be up here in the front. But if God's calling you to surrender, people will be here to pray with you. But I invite you, before you take communion, and you know you need to get right with God. Take this time. The Bible says that if you confess to the Lord your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you of all of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. The beauty of the gospel is that God is not charging you guilty because there is one who already was guilty for us, and that was Jesus. He suffered for us. So that you wouldn't have to suffer. He endured. He endured the very wrath of God for us. The Bible says it is. For he who knew no sin became sin in our behalf. Jesus didn't do nothing wrong. He never sinned against the Father. But yet when he hung on the cross. He was charged as guilty for you and I. So look to the cross as you come to him today. So you may make your way up to the front. As you take the bread and the juice, you can work your way to the back. Take the time to pray, thanking God for what he's done, being reminded that communion, the bread is symbolic. There's nothing magical about the bread. We receive these elements by faith, by faith in what Jesus has done for us. There is grace. There is grace for us through this. So if your heart needs to be strengthened, come. Come today. So you may wake, make your way to the front, grab the, 
uh, the elements. If not, if you need prayer, people are up here to pray with you. But go ahead, you may rise and you may make your way to the front.